I vividly remember as a kid really, really looking forward to Christmas, longing for Christmas Day to come. The longing, the excitement would build up weeks in advance. Sundays involved a kind of 45-minute drive to and from church, and we'd count the trees in the windows. And when presents began to appear under the trees before Christmas, and just for clarity for any little people here or big people with little hearts, they are not the ones that Santa brought on Christmas Eve. When there were presents under the tree before Christmas, I kind of shake them and poke them and unwrap some of them and do them up again. And in bed on Christmas Eve night, there was little prospect of any sleep, even though parents said things like, Santa won't come to houses where children aren't asleep. Longing for Christmas Day, that's not a sentimental reflection. It is true of a child. As a little kid, though, you didn't realize that mom and dad were downstairs, still wrapping presents, trying to search the house for batteries, peeling the sprouts, longing for Christmas Day to be over. Memories as a child of longing for Christmas Day to come, and then watching your own children with that same excitement and longing you had, especially when they were little, when presents were toys and stockings and selection boxes rather than Amazon and iTunes vouchers. And yet, even as a kid, even as a kid, you have a sense, a sense that grows over the years with more and more Christmases and into adulthood that the anticipation, the excitement, the longing was never quite matched by the reality. The difference between Christmas Eve with classic FM playing away in a manger, slightly tarnished by 10 o'clock on Christmas Day, wrapping paper strewn on the floor, cries of, Dad, because you had forgotten the batteries. Terrible telly, so much chocolate, endless hours of preparation for that wonderful meal that no one has an appetite to eat. And even for a Christmas humbug like me, where longing for Christmas would be too strong, I never and still don't long for it to be over. I would love every single Sunday in the year to be like tonight. Why do I not long for it to be over? Because I know deep down somewhere in my heart and mind that it will never quite fulfill the expectations that the inevitable letdown will follow back to reality, back to January. That contrast between before Christmas, seeing the lights in the houses and shops mirroring the anticipation, but after Christmas, seeing the bare trees littering the streets, that mirrors a turn to reality. Now, what about the bigger stuff, the important stuff in life? 
What is it in our heart of hearts that we long for? What are the deep, the deepest, the spoken and the unspoken longings of our hearts, the hunger and thirst of the human soul? Is it longing for better health? Is it longing to turn the clock back or to stop the clock? Is it longing for a better relationship or a broken relationship to be fixed or a relationship at all? Is it longing for a child? Is it longing for a better year than last? That might be a better year in the world or the country. It might be much more personal concerning your own life, your own family, longing for a better year next year. Or is it longing for more stuff and more things? About middle age, it hits you. That how much more will it take for that longing to be satisfied? That the answer is always some more? Or is it longing for an explanation, answers to the big questions of life and death, existence, meaning, and point? What is it all about? Now, these questions are always there, often subsurface. And when you're older and wiser, or perhaps older and more disillusioned, the questions surface. They arrest you. They come up and face you. We had an 18th birthday in our family this week. It wasn't me. <laughs> and I found myself asking, what is it all about? Where have these years gone? Why have they gone so fast? And at the pivot in our family's life, what of the future? Do you ask these questions? I'm a minister. Perhaps I shouldn't. I think one of the most persuasive things about the Bible, God's words, is that when I pick it up and read it, or when I teach it week by week, it speaks honestly about real life. It expresses the deep, deep longings of the human heart, the aching hunger and thirst of the soul for answers. For many, many people, the start of their journey to real Christian faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ, is when they read or hear the Bible and realize it asks the questions they ask. It expresses the emotions they feel. The Bible, God's words, and Christian faith is not escapism. It is realism. So, listen again to some of the words from the readings we have heard tonight. Ancient wisdom with a striking contemporary relevance, meaningless, all is meaningless. What do people gain for their labors? 
at which they toil under the sun. No one remembers the former generations. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. And yet, at the end of my life, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then much more personally, the words of the psalm, a song, which of us cannot empathize with these words? My tears have been my food day and night. When people say to me, where is your God? Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me, where is your God? Now, that is real personal anguish, anguished longing for some answers and some explanation. Now, these words are from the song that a believer can sing. A Christian, when people all around them, when circumstances suggest the question that has no answer, where is your God? How can there be a God in the face of life's realities? Surely the answer is that there are no answers. And that those who suggest there are, are simply deluded fantasy, make-believe. So what is left? Emptiness, lostness, hopelessness, and meaninglessness. Unless, unless the writer of the song is doing something very bold in his own life, and he encourages us to do the same. He is facing up to reality, asking the hardest questions, daring to ask, are there any answers to the deepest longings of the human spirit? The singer of the song ends by asking themselves a question. Why, looking into their heart, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And the answer to their own heart and to their own soul. And their encouragement to us. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him. My Savior. And my God. There is an answer to our longing. His name is Jesus Christ. What is true fulfillment? True fulfillment is when the reality matches or surpasses the promise. True fulfillment is when the deep 
deep longings of our human souls are satisfied. True fulfillment is when there are answers to the biggest questions of life and death and meaning and existence. True fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. His birth was long promised. His birth was longed for. Promise and longing captured so powerfully in the words of the prophet, comfort, comfort my people. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. Jesus' birth was marked in history as of huge significance. Matthew and Luke, in their Gospels, their eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' life, record the details of His birth. Numerous things point to its significance. Promises fulfilled exactly where He was born, how He was born, the humility of His birth, Witnesses to his birth, ordinary people like shepherds, wise men or kings, angels announcing his birth and declaring that this baby is God, signs pointing to his significant birth like the light or the star in the sky, reactions to his birth, worship, adoration, or hostility, and the results of His birth. Jesus is without doubt the most significant man in history, with countless millions of followers. The last two readings describe the adult life of Jesus. Mark's gospel begins with John the Baptist pointing us to Jesus and Jesus beginning his public ministry aged around 30. John the Baptist is the last prophet representing a long line of prophets that had come before him. He stands too for every Christian minister, every clergyman, every reverend since then whose job it is to point away from themselves to Jesus. And so for a moment, do not listen to me, nor carols, nor readings, nor anything, but focus your minds on the person of Jesus, the one of whom the greatest preacher in history said this, after me will come one more powerful than I, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who gives spiritual life. And when John the Baptist said these things, Jesus came, and God the Father spoke and said, You are my beloved Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descended on Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit, all present as Jesus is commissioned for His ministry. 
And then Jesus began his ministry proclaiming or speaking the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. These are the first words of Jesus. The time has come. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. Repent and believe. Repent means turn from searching for fulfillment, for answers apart from Jesus. Do not live life any longer like the man on the film who sought after something that in the end he lost. Elsewhere, Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can you take of the possessions you have amassed from this world? Stop chasing after shadows, Jesus says. Turn and believe the good news. And what Jesus offers to us is wonderful news. As a Christian minister, you would expect me to say that. But one of the great privileges of being a Christian minister, and this year or next year I'm 50, you're thinking, how could he be 50? <laughs> One of the great privileges of Christian ministry is seeing behind the doors of people's homes. And I will never, ever grow tired of sharing with them the wonderful news of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. The fulfillment He offers is not the same as the very best that the world can offer. It is not even a little bit better. It is totally different. It fulfills our deepest longings. Our hunger is sated. Our thirst is quenched. There is purpose to live. There is meaning. There is point. There is life. There is resurrection from the dead. Now, there is so much I'd love to tell you about who Jesus is and what He wants to give you. All I can do is explain a tiny bit of it. And if this tiny bit of it is attractive to you, how could it not be? <laughs> then do not fall for the biggest lie that many of us fall for. Do not get to the end of your life without having given the time to think seriously about who Jesus is, what He said, what He did, and what He offers us. Here are some of the things that He said. I'll just touch on one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and will never thirst. Spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied. 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. That's not saying Jesus is like a flashlight to take with us, to guide us through life. It is saying that in this dark world, He is light. He is light. And maybe for a moment here, as you think on His birth, you find yourself standing in His light. I am the resurrection and the life. I get to say that as I stand at a graveside of a believer. Even though they die, yet shall they live. And the words of Jesus to Martha, do you believe this? Does it matter? But let me leave you with this promise. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, as a minister, as I said, you realize that behind every door in this city, and that includes all the brightly painted ones, all the ones with Advent wreaths, all the ones with Christmas trees in the windows, even the ones with the tacky decorations on the roof, Behind every door, there is stuff and struggles and heartaches and grieving. And if not now or not yet, these times will come of all the blessings of having Jesus as your Savior. For me, perhaps, as I see it in the lives of people, that is the most precious is His care, His shepherd care, the difference it makes. I've given this talk twice today, tonight, and this afternoon, these words, these words of comfort behind one of these doors, behind one of these doors, If the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. When even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. And how on earth do we know of this true? Because He gave His life that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God, and he was raised from death to life to give us life. Now, that is what Christmas is all about. Let me leave you with the words from Zechariah's song, and then we'll hear it sung. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Praise be to the Lord because He has come to His people and redeemed them. The tender mercy of our God 
by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace.